Thanks for watching and enjoy the rest of the service. Good morning, church family. How are you guys doing this morning? Man, it's so great to be here. Man, let's jump right in. Why don't you guys turn me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. While you guys are heading there, I know I may have just started a new tradition for whoever's preaching, but I got another birthday shout out to give, and that's to my brother Benny Ounce. I heard it's your birthday, bro. So happy birthday. And also, Pastor Rod, it's his birthday as well. Yesterday. And my man Scott, to my left, it's his birthday as well. So happy birthday. And Brian Sneed, who's in Greece. We don't have to give him a hand because he's in Greece, man. He's, he's fine. He's fine. Oh, man, it's so great to be here. If this is your first time, my name is Breno. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And our head pastor, Don, he's in Africa right now. And he says hi again. He's traveling back. And he'll be back home tomorrow. So if you can be praying for safe travels as he's heading back, that'd be great. And the eldership team um, asked me to present a four-week sermon series. So that's what I'm doing. We are on week three of a sermon series we titled Finally Free. Everyone say Finally Free. free. Let's go ahead and read the scripture today. Romans 8, verse 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reading of the word. Thank you, God, that this Bible right here is sharper than a double-edged sword. Thank you, God, that this word holds the final authority. We open up this word and ask that you speak to us through the word. And God, we want to be finally free. And we know that you give us freedom. So bring freedom in this place this morning. In Jesus' name, everyone say, Amen. Amen. We are called to be finally free. Jesus came to set us free. And freedom is available today in this place. As we sung today, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Spirit is here. I don't know if you've felt Him. I don't know if you've heard Him. But the Spirit of God is in this place today. So that must mean freedom is available in this place today. Freedom from addiction Freedom from depression, freedom from anxiety, freedom from bitterness, freedom from the past, and so much more. And not just temporarily, but permanently free indeed. So I was prepa- as I was preparing today's sermon, I looked up the definition of freedom. What is it? What does freedom mean? So in Webster's Dictionary, the definition says freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. And this same definition applies to the freedom we receive in Christ. This is what Jesus gives us through the cross. Freedom, the power to act, speak, and think as Christ would call us to without hindrance or restraint. With no hindrance. I don't know about you, maybe there's different things in your life that you have hindrance or restraint. For me, hope this might offend someone, please forgive me. I have a hindrance when it comes to dogs. I'm sorry. I have a restraint when it comes to dogs. Pray for my marriage because we are a house divided when it comes to having a dog in the house. I appreciate you submitting, my beautiful wife. <laughs> but I have a restraint against dogs. 
And I know that there is a, a beautiful side to having a dog, right? Man's best friends. You can play Frisbee with them. You, love, you guys love your dogs. But me, I, I just don't understand it. But here's why, though. I think this hindrance, I don't think I know that this hindrance is in me because of what happened to me when I was a kid with this dog walking home from school. <laughs> Mike is over there. Don't worry, it wasn't your guys' dog. That was another event that we, don't, we, we can address too. I have a couple uh, uh, moments with some dogs in my past. Uh, one of them was Mike and Donna's dog bit my thumb <laughs> when I tried to pet it. Oh yeah, pet the dog, they don't bite. Right. <laughs> yep. yep. Tell a seven-year-old that. See how it goes when it bites. So there was that. And then two years later, when I was, I was still in elementary at Wall School, I lived about two blocks from where I went to elementary, there was this house across the street from the school, and it had one of those beware of the dog dogs. And this beware of the dog dog let me know that I must beware every day after school with his bark. But, you know, I just kept walking home. Well, one day, the owner just decided to forget to keep the fence locked. And this beware of the dog dog starts chasing me. And I'm running for dear life. And I learned quick as an eight-year-old that dogs are faster than me. And this beware of the dog bit me in the leg. And now it's a blurry uh, remembrance. I think I had snow pants on. It must have been during the winter, so I don't have any scar physically, but I do have a scar (laughs) mentally, spiritually, emotionally from this dog. So if you knew me growing up as a kid, I was terrified of dogs. I would walk into someone's house. I would stick behind my mom. I would freak out. And, and, And the dog owner, like all of you, he doesn't bite. And here you have a dog the size of a horse coming to attack me. He doesn't bite. He's a, he's a good fella. But I had this hindrance for many years. And, and praise the Lord, he does break through. In high school, I was able to start petting dogs. Praise God. I faced my fear. But because I had this hindrance, I've never been able to experience that beautiful relationship and affection that you guys have. Maybe I will one day. If you want that for me, pray for me. I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open. Sometimes I look at Pax or Ollie, I'm like, oh, you're kind of cute. <laughs> but man, there was this hindrance in my life because something that happened in the past. And that just made me wonder how many of us have hindrance and restraint today because of something that happened in the past. What's hindering you today? What's holding you back from the past? Because here's something that I do know. God has gifted each and every one of you. God has placed you in a beautiful church family. God has opened doors no man can shut. He has given you opportunities, but you have not walked through those open doors because something from the past is keeping you walk in what God has for you. Many of us have allowed the pain of our past keep us from moving forward in freedom. Many of us have allowed the pain and shame of our past keep us from moving forward in freedom. 
Whether it's shame, embarrassment, guilt, it's holding you back. The title of my message today is, If They Only Knew. I mean, they, they want me to come and serve. They want me to come and be a part of this church family, but if they only knew. I mean, I, I have a gift of music. I want to join the worship team, but if they only knew. I desire a godly husband. I desire a godly wife. But for, for me to go deep in a, a, a relationship, I have to be vulnerable. Man, I, my surface level version of me is awesome. But if they only knew who I really was. If they only knew what happened. If they only knew what I did. If they only knew. But like we just read in the scripture, it says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus set you free from your past. He set you free from your shame. There was no condemnation in Christ. None. So if this statement of I'm letting the past hold me back, if that statement is true, but if it's also true that Jesus has set us free from the past, this statement right here should also be true. You are more concerned about your past than Jesus is. Let's let that settle. You are more concerned about your past than Jesus is. Jesus has given you a calling. He's given you a gift. He's given you purpose. He's trying to deposit a word in your heart. But you're like, but Jesus, remember what I did? He's like, what are you talking about? Because in Psalm 103, verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. But why do we believe this lie? It's because of the devil. And he plants this lie that sounds like the truth. See, he's a deceiver. From the moment he opened up his mouth in the word in Genesis, he deceived. He twisted the truth. Didn't God say, hmm, He's still doing that today. He's deceiving us. He's lying to us. Because what what the devil is saying is what you've done defines who you are. The sins that you committed defines who you are. But that's not a truth. That is a lie. Here's the truth, church. What Jesus did defines who you are. What Christ did on that cross defines who you are. And he died for that shame. He died for that guilt. He died for that condemnation. He says, go and sin no more. That's the truth. And we need to believe it and grab a hold of it. But, we, but the reality is, we do have a past. We have done things that we regret. So now there's this wrestling of Jesus set me free. He said, go walk and be new. But I still remember the past. Even though scripture says that God doesn't remember it, I still do. My family still remembers that past. Mm. My friends on Facebook that see me going to church, I mean, they're liking my photo, but they, they remember me from my past. There's this wrestling that we're going through. Because everyone has a story. It may be different from the person next to you, but everyone here has the same, different story, but we all have the same author. Our author, God, he is the one 
that writes our story and he writes it with purpose. From the first chapter of our life to the last chapter of our life, he's writing it with purpose. But have you allowed the pain of one chapter hold you back from letting God finish the whole story? Because God's trying to finish your story. He's trying to write something good for your life. But are you letting just that one chapter, that one event, that one season of your life where you were lost, are you allowing that to hold you back from God finishing the story? Because when you allow him to write your story and finish it, you will see that the story is good. It's story time. We're going to hear some stories today. And the first story is found in Scripture. Turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 4, verse 7. So Romans 8, verse 1 and 2, it just set us up. Today we're going to go deep in John chapter 4. Just to give you some context, this is during Jesus' public ministry. As Jesus, also man, also God, he lived on this earth for 33 years. Out of those 33, for the last three of his years, he had a public ministry where he was casting out demons, he was healing the sick, he was raising the dead to life. And here in this moment, we see him meet an outcast. So John 4, verses 7 through 9, it says this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus is in Samaria. And although the road through Samaria was the shortest route from Jerusalem to Galilee, many Jews would avoid this route because there was tension. Jews often avoided it because there was a deep distrust and dislike between many of the Jews and the Samaritans. But here Jesus is in Samaria talking to a Samaritan woman. A Samaritan woman. So the first observation I see is, wow, Jesus is in Samaria, a land where his people would avoid. The second observation is, it's a woman. Now, if you know Scripture, women were looked very down upon in this time of history. So much so that by tradition, a rabbi or a teacher would not even speak to a woman in public, even if it was his wife. So we see that there is a discrimination against Samaritans and there's a discrimination against women. Last observation, she came to the well alone. Now, when you look in the verses previous from verse 7, you see that she came in the sixth hour of the day, which means 12 o'clock. She came at noon. She came to a well to draw water at the hottest time of the day. And she came alone. This is an, an important detail because during this time, women would usually come to the well earlier in the day in groups. And here she was alone. Perhaps there was a sudden need, or perhaps she was a social outcast. Maybe she was shunned by other women in the community. Because for someone to walk all the way out out of town 
to draw water from a well all by herself shows us that she didn't want to be with other people. So we have a Samaritan, a woman, a social outcast, and none of that mattered to Jesus. Jesus looks past every reason to shame and reject us. I am so grateful for that. Jesus wasn't concerned about her society and culture. Because if religious people knew his plan for this, they would say, but Jesus, she's a Samaritan. I don't care. But Jesus, she's a woman. I don't care. Jesus, she's a social outcast. No one associates with them. I don't care. That means nothing to Jesus. And I just need to encourage somebody today. The discrimination you face in society, the discrimination you face in culture, in your city, in your family, at your job, at your school, in your house, does not affect the value and love that Jesus has for you. It does not affect it. He will look past every reason to shame you, every reason to reject you. He says, I don't care. Oh, but they were addicted to drugs for 10 years. I don't care. Oh, but they've been divorced three times. I don't care. I created them, and I love them. And I really believe that Jesus is meeting some people this morning that feel like an outcast. Because notice this detail. Jesus was at the well before she was. She was waiting for him, or he was waiting for her. He was already present where she was going. And that's what Jesus does. That's the gospel. Jesus loved us first. We didn't find Jesus. He found us. We didn't come to him. He came to us with his arms wide open because he looks past every reason to shame and reject us. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. Verse 10 through 12, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. Everyone say living water. water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself and did his sons and his livestock. In ancient times, they called spring water living water because it seemed alive as it bubbled up from the ground. So hearing this phrase, living water, was normal. But Jesus made a play on words with the phrase living water. Because he meant the spiritual, everyone say spiritual, Spiritual. water that quenches spiritual thirst and gives life. The woman thought Jesus was talking about just some water in a jug. But Jesus is talking about the water that gives us life. Let's keep going. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Everyone say eternal life. So Jesus knew that this woman and everyone in the village had to come to this well daily to satisfy their natural thirst. Jesus used this thirst as a picture of the spiritual need and longing that everyone has. What an invitation. Jesus made this amazing offer. 
And what he offered was to this woman and to anyone who would drink this water was something to give lasting satisfaction. The key is to drink of the water that Jesus shall give. My second point today, what Jesus has to offer is so much better than what your chains have to offer. Mm. Mm. As we're going through this series, you might be asking the question, why am I in chains? When I was in my struggle to addiction, I asked this question all the time. Why am I addicted? Why, why do I keep running to this? Why every time I go to church and I get prayed for, why do I keep running back? And you may be answering the same question. Why am I in bondage? It's because you're thirsty. Let's be honest. You're, you're not in chains because you want to be. No one wakes up and says, oh, I feel like being an alcoholic today. What you got going on today? No one wakes up and says, bye, honey. I'm going to go keep being addicted to pornography. Have a good day. We don't do this. So why do we keep struggling? It's because we're thirsty. We genuinely want to be satisfied. You thirst for satisfaction. You thirst for gratification. You thirst for complete wholeness. So what do you do? You just keep drinking. When you're thirsty, you look for the first cup of water that's available. And that's what a lot of us are doing. We're looking for the first cup filled with any type of liquid to fill our thirst. We're looking for the first boy to give me attention because my dad never filled that hole. We look for the first group of people that welcome us into their friend group. Even if I got to compromise my morals, even if I got to compromise my beliefs, somebody's giving me attention, so I got to be satisfied. Why are we in chains? We're thirsty. But if we know that there is fresh water, but there's also salt water, raise your hand if you swam in the ocean. That water is nasty, isn't it? I remember the first time when we, we went to Brazil, I was about seven years old. I'm running through the water. I'm like, ugh, that's nasty, bro. This ain't Lake Michigan, right? From, when, from, the, from the sand, it looked like Lake Michigan. It looked like water I could swim in. And I could swim in it, but it tastes disgusting. So we know that there's a difference between fresh water and salt water. So if you're thirsty and someone offers you salt water, you'd be like, no, I'm good. Because I know that's, that, that won't satisfy me. Mm. But we keep running to our chains, knowing that it won't satisfy us. We keep running to alcohol, knowing that we're just going to be hung over again. We, 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 we broken up with five dudes this year, but we go to number six, number seven, knowing that it's probably not going to work either. Just because it looks like fresh water doesn't mean it satisfies. And just because it tastes good in the beginning doesn't mean it satisfies. Because addiction, it tastes good at first. Finding attention from any random girl that's going to hit you up, it feels good for an hour. But don't be deceived to this lie that you should keep running to your chains 
because it won't satisfy you. You keep running to that porn. You keep running to that alcohol, running those toxic relationships. It looks like water. It seems satisfying at first, but you are still thirsty. But what is Jesus saying? He's saying if you run to that chain, you'll be thirsty again. But I say run to me. When you run to me, whoever drinks the water that I will give them will have peace, will have joy, will have satisfaction. You will never be thirsty again. What an invitation that Jesus is giving us. I know you've been thirsty. You've been craving attention from a man. Let me be the man that fills that hole. You keep running to those chains. Let me the one that satisfies you. And what if we come to a point in life where we're so satisfied with Jesus that when the devil tries to come and bring temptation, we're like, nah, I'm good. I got Jesus. Nah, I'm good, devil. I'm satisfied. Nah, I'm good, devil. I don't need the alcohol no more. I don't need that pornography no more. I'm satisfied because I got Jesus. He's the living water. He gives me life indeed. And I'm set free from that. I'm good. No thanks. I'm good. I'm satisfied. So let's keep going. The woman said to Jesus, sir, give me this water so I shall never be thirsty again. So Jesus gives this invitation and she says yes to it. She says, Sir, I want this living water that you're talking about. Look at Jesus' response. He says, go call your husband. Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, answered him, I have no husband. Okay, so let's, let's see what's going on here. Jesus says, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. Okay, Jesus, what, where are we going with this? He said, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you are now with is not even your husband. What you've said is true. Man, when I first read this, I'm like, man, Jesus is a savage. Wow. He told her. But pay attention to this. As soon as she says, I want this living water, Jesus says, go call your husband. As soon as the woman invited Jesus in, he began to confront her present and her past. It's funny, when she said, give me this water, Jesus didn't say, okay, here you go. Sure, have some water. No, no, no. Before he gave her the water, he said, go call your husband. He's confronting her where she's at in the moment before he gave her the water. Church, when we invite Jesus into our chains, he will begin to confront our past and our present. He's going to do it. And here's the truth. For transformation to happen in your life, confrontation has to happen. We don't like that. We don't like that because that means I have to change. Mm. 
We don't like this confrontation because that means I, I got to fix something that I've been comfortable doing. But then we get in this soapbox when Jesus comes and confronts us. We get offended by the Holy Spirit because he confronts us. You ever have that voice in your heart when you're like, everything and nothing less. Okay, go forgive your husband. I give you everything in. Uh, go ask for forgiveness by the elder that you offended. Forever, everything and nothing less. Break up with that dude. He don't love you. My life is yours. Complete. Delete Snapchat, Facebook, and Instagram. Oh, I. I'm done with Jesus. I'm done with this church. I'm done with this church. My pastor's keeping me accountable. I don't want that. I don't want that. I don't, they're telling me to break up with this man. I've been with him for 10 years. I can't do that. Come on, man. My life is yours. Is it? Everything and nothing less. Everything? Are you sure? Because that's a deep prayer. We sing it because it sounds great. We sing it because it gives us the Holy Spirit goosies. Oh, can we be real in church this morning? Can we be real this morning? We got to surrender everything. Oh, but these leaders keeping me accountable, they're saying all this stuff I got to change. They're condemning me. Church, grab a hold of this. There is a difference between condemnation and confrontation. There's a difference between condemnation and confrontation. Because condemnation disqualifies us because of what we've done. But confrontation opens the door to hope through truth. It breaks my heart that a lot of believers aren't being set free from these chains because they're not accepting the confrontation that the Holy Spirit's trying to do in their life. You need to embrace the confrontation of the Holy Spirit. You have to. And that's what Jesus is doing to this woman. But when you think about it, this is the love of Jesus, isn't it? It's the love that changes our lives. It's the love that transforms. But what's sad is culture tries to distort what the love of Jesus is or any type of love because culture aligns love with acceptance. But love is transformation. Walking with Jesus isn't come as you are and stay the same. No, 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 no. That's not the gospel. The gospel is come as you are, leave changed. Come as you are, leave differently. That's what his love is. Because let me ask you something. Is he shaming the woman at the well? No. Is he condemning the woman at the well? No. But is he allowing her to stay the same? No. He loves her so much to change her. He loves her so much 
to confront these things. And he's doing the same thing to us this morning. For Jesus to set us free indeed, he needs to address every chain, every way, and every moment that has kept us in bondage. All of them. Jesus confronts our past in hopes of giving a new future. Because like we know, Jesus, he isn't concerned about our past anymore. But he's concerned about your future. And that's why he keeps convicting you. Because he wants your marriage to heal. That's why he keeps convicting you. He wants you to be set free from pornography. Young woman, that's why the Holy Spirit keeps convicting you. Because he wants you to be with a godly man and build a godly family. Because he loves you. There are two lies many of us believe in this place. The first one is, I'm too far gone to be changed. That's a lie. You're not too far gone. The blood of Jesus covers every sin. But here's the other lie many of us believe. Jesus loves me so much I don't have to change. Help me, Holy Spirit. That's also not true. He wants to change you. He wants to change me. So we look back at the story. She had five husbands. And the man she was with at the time wasn't even her husband. So we see that Jesus addresses six men in her life. Six relationships that brought fear, loneliness, anger, shame, guilt, and emptiness. Here's what's interesting to me when I read this, when I read this scripture. He could have brought up one or two husbands. Because in my mind, I'm like, oh, Jesus, give her a break. She's, di- she's divorced five times. Just bring up one or two. But he brought up every husband. It's funny to me that Jesus wasn't just concerned about a part of her bondage. He was concerned about all of it. He's concerned about every single chain in your life. Because maybe if you're me, I didn't just have one chain. I had multiple. I had one, two, three, four. And so I know all of us here, we probably got more than one. We got a whole pile of them, a whole pile of chains. And praise God that you're making steps. I want to say praise God that you're making steps to bring your chains to God. That's amazing. That's beautiful. But I want to challenge you and encourage you. You've just been bringing one to God. You still got this whole pile in your left hand. You're just addressing one. Oh, let me just, I'll just address the, hmm, what should I tell Doug? What should I be prayed for? Uh, let's just bring up the, the loneliness, because that, that's not as embarrassing. We'll just bring up loneliness. But I'm going I'm to keep this bitterness, though, against, against church hurt and stuff to my left, because, nah, I, I've given some of the chains to God. That's why you're just experiencing some deliverance. You say, I want to be finally free. I want to be completely delivered. But we just give him, we just give him one chain to Jesus. We're not giving him the whole pile. Come on. Yeah. 
Jesus is calling us to lay every chain at his feet. Not just the chains we caused, but the chains that were given to us. I don't know about you, but there have been some chains in my life that I caused. I'll own that. But there were some other chains that were given to me. And that wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. The chain of pornography, that was on me. God, I'll admit, that chain of pornography, that was on me. That chain to pursuing ungodly relationships and talking to multiple girls on Snapchat at a time, that was, that was all me. But this chain right here of being sexually mishandled by my neighbor, oh, that's not fair. That's not fair. I ain't addressing that. And what's crazy is, even though this chain was given to me, the devil has deceived my mind thinking it was my fault. Thinking it was my fault for being in that room at that time. It was my fault for disobeying my parents and going over to that person's house. It was my fault. And you've hit it for 10 years, Brennan. What makes you think year 11 is going to make you any different? Here's the sad truth. The reason why I didn't find complete freedom is because I wasn't completely vulnerable. And that's where many of us are sitting at today. Maybe the reason why some of us aren't completely free is because we haven't been completely honest about what's happened to us or even about what we've done to somebody else. But Jesus wants to lay every chain at his feet. So, guys, so much healing came into my life when I, when I gave the chains that were given to me to the feet of Jesus. It wasn't easy. It wasn't easy going to my dad at a men's retreat and saying, Dad, I got to talk to you. Remember that one house? that you told me not to go to, I went and this happened. But when I did that, the response wasn't shame. The response wasn't condemnation. The response from my earthly father and my heavenly father was, I died on the cross for that. Let's take care of this. I died on the cross for what happened to you. Let's take care of this. Let's jump into a process of vulnerability. Let's jump into a process of running to the living water, not the salt water anymore. And I'm telling you, that's when I started to have complete healing and complete freedom. When I laid it all to Jesus, everything and nothing less. Some of y'all here today, you've given five chains to Jesus. He's waiting for number six. He's waiting for number six. Some of y'all have more. You've given all 10 chains to Jesus, but you haven't given 11 and 12. You got to give it to him. You got to give it to him. You got to lay everything at the feet of Jesus, and he's going to set you free. He's going to set you free. Because these chains, seeds were planted 
when these chains came in, and now they're producing fruit of sin. Like we talked about week one, pornography is just a symptom of that first chain. Alcoholism is, is just a symptom. But let's take care of the root today. We got we to take care of the root today. It's time to forgive that person. I had to forgive that person. And it brought so much freedom. Because I've learned that forgiveness is more for me than the other person. It's for me. Me forgiving him, that was for me. It wasn't for the person to my left or to my right. It was for me. And I'm free from that. The reason I can talk about it so freely today is because I was able to forgive, move forward, because I'm a new person. It's time to forgive yourself. You have forgiven every person in your life except yourself. But when we come to Jesus and say, I can't forgive myself, that was too dirty, it's like telling Jesus that the cross wasn't enough. If you really believe that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus was powerful enough to set every captive free, to break every chain, you better believe that he's going to break the chain of you trying to not forgive yourself. It's time to forgive yourself. Move forward in what God has for you. It's time to move forward this morning. So as we continue with the story, verse 28 and 29, just to move forward a little bit, they've had, they had some dialogue, but at the end of this conversation, the woman left her water jar and went away into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Can this really be the Christ, the one who confronted every chain in my life but set me free from it? Can this be him? She was so impressed with her conversation with Jesus that she left her water pot at the well. And now she sought out other villagers even when they had treated her as an outcast before. She didn't care anymore. She's like, I don't care what you have to say about me. I don't care that you call me an outcast. Jesus calls me a daughter, and let me tell you what he did to me. Here's another important detail when it comes to freedom from our past. The freedom that Jesus gives from our past is a freedom that shuts the mouths of our haters and the devil. Hmm, man, thank you, Jesus. Jesus didn't just do it here. He did it all over Scripture. In John chapter 8, I don't know if you heard of the woman. She was caught in the act of adultery. The Pharisees, the religious people, threw her in the middle of a circle and said, Jesus, we about to stone this woman for what she has done. Jesus didn't condemn her. He said, if, if anyone's perfect in this circle, throw the first stone. They all walked away in front of the people that, that would shame her, in front of the people that would condemn her. Jesus set her free. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. How about Luke chapter 7? The woman with the alabaster jar who washed the feet of Jesus. She was called. We don't even know her name. It says the, the people referred to her as a sinner. They called her a sinner. She wasn't known in this moment by the other people for being someone with a beautiful sacrifice and love offering to Jesus. She was known as for what she did. But Jesus said, you are forgiven. Maybe you have a hesitation to walk in freedom today because there are people who knew you before Christ. Mm. There is family members who knew you before Christ. And you're allowing their opinions to keep you from walking in freedom. 
to walking in newness. You're allowing their opinions. You're allowing them to keep reminding you, oh, it's cool. You're trying to change your life, but remember what we did back in college? Remember what we did as homies? You need to stop listening to those opinions. You cannot let what other people have to say keep you from knowing what Christ has to say. Christ says, go and sin no more. Christ says, your sins are forgiven. Christ says, I'm going to use that, what the enemy meant for evil, and turn it around for some good. Christ says that you are free. Don't, t- don't care about what other people think. I've set you free. He set you free. Set you free from your past. Set you free from your shame. And he wants you to move forward today in newness. Because here's the truth. Everybody had a story. We all have a story in this place. And like I said, today is story time. So we just read a beautiful story in Scripture about a woman at the well. But to close our sermon, I want to invite Devin Demas to share the second story of redemption. Give Devin a hand as he comes up today. Amen. My name's Devin. Uh, My wife, Devin, (laughs) and our son have been coming to firm for a year now. No, our son's name is not Devin. His name's Decker, uh, but we've been coming to firm for a year now. Uh, I've known Breno for just about three years, been walking with him. I've uh, known Don and Lisa since I was just a little boy. I grew up in church with Don uh, in Sturgis there uh, when they first came to Michigan. And I'm thankful for Breno's heart in this sermon series, aren't you? Thankful for his heart. Finally free, finally free. But more than Breno's heart that I'm thankful for, I'm thankful for the heart of God in this place, okay? I'm thankful for the heart of God that would speak a message of freedom to Breno to speak to us. I'm thankful that we're not just in another service where we're going to hear some good preaching, but I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit has come forth and he is doing something in the lives of people and he's doing something in this church and he's got a hold of some people in this service today. And I'm thankful that there's freedom in Jesus. I'm going to share a story, and like, like uh, Lisa said it best during, during her testimony, during um, um, from victim to victor, Don preached on, this, this happened 20 years ago. This happened a long time ago. I'm free. I'm a, new, I'm a new person in Christ, so don't feel bad for me, but this is my story. This is my story. I was raised in a Christian home. My parents uh, were Christians. They loved the Lord. They grew. Uh, they raised my brother and I to do the same. Uh, I knew the Lord as a young boy. I remember having an awesome childhood. I, I remember just having so much fun, having an amazing relationship with my parents. Um, it was great. We didn't have a ton, but we had God. And to be raised by two godly parents, that was huge. That's huge in this world. I'm, I'm forever thankful for my upbringing. Uh, but when I was eight years old, I was exposed to pornography and sexually abused by an older man, boy, <clears throat> in my neighborhood. I shouldn't have been hanging out with this person at this time. I shouldn't have been where I was at this time, but that's what happened to me. Although it was hard to process at first, it's hard to process. I'm just a boy. I don't really know what happened, but we have an enemy. We have an enemy. His name is Satan, okay? We have one. So although I'm trying to process, he immediately comes because he is, the Bible calls him what? The father of lies. That is his language. He immediately comes and speaks these lies over me. 
immediately, right? Before I could even figure out what happened, he tried to convince me that I liked the abuse. He tried to convince me that I was dirty. He tried to convince me that I had done something wrong. He convinced me I couldn't tell anybody because of shame, right? He convinced me of what, what's going to happen when you tell someone. I was experiencing these feelings that no little kid should experience. And judging just by uh, how these things happen, I feel like there's other parents people in this place that have experienced the feelings that I've experienced. These were feelings I wanted to escape from. I wanted to hide them. I wanted nothing to do with them. I did not want to think about what happened. I didn't want to talk about it. Nothing. Just get done with that. I, I turned from it immediately and ran from it. And I was not going to tell anyone. I was not going to tell my parents. I was not going to let anybody know. Running from what happened to me, okay, that's, that's what took me down the wrong path. I struggled with anger issues in elementary school. I actually had to walk with some guidance counselors because um, I, I, I was an angry boy. I was shelling up all this stuff. But they couldn't figure out why I was angry because on the surface, I belonged to a godly home. I'm an outgoing little boy. I play sports. I'm normal, right, on the surface. They couldn't figure it out. I fast forward into my middle school years. Well, I've, I've fallen to the wrong crowd now. I didn't do life with my youth group friends, with my church friends. I didn't want really anything to do with that anymore. Um, pornography was then introduced into my life again at middle school. You know, for young people, this, this is a serious battle for young people. This is, it's like a social club, okay? And it's a device of the enemy. And uh, for I'm thankful for some preachers and pastors that would stand up here and, and warn our young people and stand against the, the tools of the enemy and stand on the word of God. Amen. <laughs> Fast forward now to there's high speed internet in the homes. There's high speed internet at school. I learned how to delete the search history at my home computer. So you can imagine that's where the addiction formed. That's where, that's where it all formed for me, right? <clears throat> I would be reminded of my past, these frustrations, these emotions, and then I would turn to my new chain. That was my chain, my addiction. That's what I turned to. I had hard feelings towards God. I had hard feelings. So I was a little boy raised in church. I had seen the power of God. I knew God, but I had hard feelings towards him. I was upset that this had happened to me. I quit reading my Bible. I quit being involved in youth. I quit going to church. Uh, I, I didn't quit going to church. I was still in my parents' home. But in my mind, I was empty in church. Church, church had nothing for me. But the change didn't stop there. By the time I was 14 years old, I started drinking and smoking marijuana much too early. I started, uh, that was my escape. Ultimately, I chose a path that would lead to that in high school. I was an athlete, a younger one, so I was with the older kids. What do the older kids do? They do those things. They party. So what did I do as a young man? I, that's all I did. Every chance I got to party, do drugs, I did that. I was running. It was my second life. I would attend church 
I would go through the motions with my parents. I, I was in a Bible-believing church where the Spirit was moving. I would be there, but I was checked out. Really, I was looking forward to running to my chains. That's all I could identify with. When you find yourself in bondage, the enemy likes to give you some bondage, give you some chains, and then the things that he does, the, the way he manipulates you, he gets you to pick those up. Uh, I didn't choose those things, right? I didn't wake up one day as a young boy. I didn't choose those things. It's the enemy. It was his plot. You try to escape your feelings and reality. He convinces you, this is your only way out of this. Here, take this. Here, young person, take this. Do this. Watch this. Do this. He convinces you that's your only way out. So my entire youth, from 6th to 12th grade, I spent the entire time lying to my parents, misusing their trust, sneaking behind their back, doing, having my own life, but I couldn't tell them the truth. I couldn't tell them what was actually going on. I spent my whole high school career like this. On the surface, normal kid, but on the inside, I wasn't. The drugs got harder and more frequent on a daily basis. At school, at practice, no one knew. Their pornography was an everyday thing. iPhones were invented. On a downward spiraling path, this actually led me to a jail cell. In May 2013, I was arrested for underage drinking. This should have been my warning sign. This should have been my warning sign. But it wasn't. I was hardened towards God. I, I really didn't care. I thought it was funny. Um, I made jokes about it. Me and my friends laughed about um, getting caught. But the honest truth was, I was lost. I was so far away from God, I didn't care. I was on my way to being a college football player, something I dreamt of my entire life. The only good thing that I held on to through my life, uh, and the only thing that was on my mind was how great the parties were going to be, all of the women, the drugs, etc. Guys, I was shackled in chains, just surrounded in chains, right? My parents, uh, sorry, uh, during that year, uh, I make it off to college. I leave my parents' home. No one to sneak around, have to sneak around anymore. Now I can make my own choices. I can do whatever I want. I can be wherever I want, right? This eventually used to nonstop drug use, nonstop partying, and I lost my college scholarship. I was on a scholarship to play football. I had been recruited to go there. I lose my scholarship. After six years, 16 years of doing something that I love to do, something that brought me passion, something that made me proud of myself, something I could identify with and I could put my mind to, was gone. Gone. I lost it. Football was over. That's done. The only thing, right, that I could identify with was gone. I felt empty. I was angry. I was already, already having those feelings. Now I was just ashamed. I felt worthless. I had no worth, no value. God had nothing for me. My parents urged me to come home after this. But did I come home? No. I couldn't come home. I couldn't come home. I couldn't identify with my parents. They were godly loving people who, who went to church, served God. I couldn't identify with God. Just like Breno talked about last week, I had an identity crisis. I had no idea who I was. I couldn't identify as a son. I only identified as a slave. So I stayed the rest of the year. 
I lived with drug dealers. I dealt drugs. I was in the darkest places. I had done and seen awful things that I wish no one has done and seen. I began, began to battle depression. Come on, somebody. I began to battle my worthlessness. I couldn't stand myself or the person I had become anymore. On the outside, everybody loved me. I was the fun guy, the party guy, the fun guy to be around, everybody's favorite. I used my social media as a platform to push partying, drugs, and alcohol in this lifestyle. I had money, nice things, a huge group around me, always just having fun on the surface. But I was thirsty. I was thirsty. On the inside, really, I was dying. I kept running to that salty water. I, kept, I, I needed something, right? I, I needed something. I was thirsty. I eventually came home where I had to live a double life again, fake everything with my parents, although I think they probably had an idea, right? I had been arrested. Oh, oh it was an accident. Oh, it was our first time. I had lost my scholarship. Oh, you know, college isn't for me. I had to fake everything again, but I would be driving to Fort Wayne late every night, driving every weekend, stuck in my addiction, stuck in my depression, stuck in my darkness. I constantly had the thought of my past constantly, like an awful dream. You're just always thinking about it. It would always get brought up to me. I, would, I was isolated. Every night, the enemy brings that thing, that, that abuse that happened. I was sick of living, tired of it. I had no hope that things were going to get better. None. I think there's been some people in this place that have had no hope. I feel like there could be some people in this place that might have no hope right now, but we're, we're, we are preaching the message of hope. I oftentimes would tell God, just end it already. Just be done. I don't want to live anymore. I have no purpose. There is no reason that I am here. Just be done with me. But Jesus was about to meet me. One night on my way to do what I normally do, I would go, I'd be under the influence. I would be go picking up drugs in Fort Wayne. I would, I, I would be visiting these places. And this, it was snowy. It was, it was the middle of March where we still had that snowy, icy weather. I was on I-69 heading towards Fort Wayne. I remember being in the fast lane. I was passing some cars in the slow lane. There were cars behind me. Um, it was a nasty night, just that nasty, snowy, icky stuff. And I hit a patch of ice, and uh, I lost control of my car. I started fishtailing. I kind of thought everything was going to be all right, and then I just lost control. I started, I mean, 360s, donuts, I don't know what you would call it. And I, for a second, I thought, this is it. There... There's my answer, right? This, this could be it for me. And I felt that I, a huge crash, powerfully stopped, um, couldn't really see what was going on because snow was all over, just snow all over the windows. I couldn't see. Um, I flung my head into the driver's window. I kind of looked at myself, looked around the car for a second, and I didn't have a single scratch on me. I got out of the car. I looked around. I was only in the median I hit the median, no other cars were involved, nobody was off to the side of the road, it was just me, perfectly fine. Come on. My ride had a, uh, a guy actually came flying from the oncoming traffic, uh, did a U-turn in the little do not U-turn on I-69, did one to come find me. Um, 
he kind of looked shocked. He was getting out abruptly, looked shocked to see me all right. And he, he said, I thought you were a goner, dude. I thought you just were done. That was, that was terrible, okay? And my ride shows up. They had arrived. Uh, I was on my way home. And I could just feel this presence over me. I could feel something on me. All I could think about sitting in the back seat of that car was, why am I still alive? Why did nothing, how, how, how did this happen? How am I perfectly fine? How am I okay right now? What are the odds that I'm even sober right now? What is going on? And I just felt this presence over me. And I, we got out, I had to pump some gas. We got out and I could, I could feel this presence on me. And I'll never forget these words. I'll never forget them. It, it was like a loud voice that spoke to my soul. I felt it through my entire body. God said, are you done running? Wow. Running? I was, I was in the gas station, free, freezing cold, looking around. Nobody's out, right? I didn't hear a loud voice. It was, it was in my mind. But the words were, are you done running? Are you done running? I'm thinking, running? God, I'm not running. I was running. I was running. Uh, and here's the thing is that my circumstances did not surprise God whatsoever, right? He knew exactly where I was. Jesus did not, I, he was not surprised by where he found me. It was for the first time in years that I had experienced the presence of God. It was in that moment, in my brokenness, in my pit, in my shame, in my darkness, in my chains, that I knew that God was real. I knew that Jesus had a plan for my life. I knew that Jesus had come to meet me. Just like the woman at the well and all of her brokenness and all of her nastiness and all of her outcasts by the world, Jesus came came by to meet here. I'm here to tell some people this morning, some of you have already experienced, but there's, there are some people who Jesus is on his way to meet you, amen? Uh, God's not done with you. Your story's not over, right? He's still trying to write the next chapter, amen? Young people, God is on his way. Jesus is here to meet you this morning. He knew my every pain. He knew my every struggle. He knew everything about me. He knew all the things that I had done, all the things that I had struggled with. He knew all my strengths and all my weaknesses, and yet he still called me by name. Jesus calls us by name, church, uh, not by who you are or what you, not what you've done or what you feel ashamed of. He calls you by name. He calls you son. He calls you daughter, okay? So those thoughts those lies that come inside of your mind sometimes, you gotta say, I rebuke those in the name of Jesus. Uh, Jesus doesn't think these things about me. I am not an addict. I am not addicted. I am not a, 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 an alcohol, alcoholic. I'm not, I'm not dirty. I'm not shameful. I am a son and I am a daughter of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I began a new journey. I started pursuing a relationship with Jesus. And one by one, the chains broke. He freed me from my depression. Church, depression, right? And, and, and it, it is a tough, when, when you have no hope, when you have no hope, depression, right? You have no hope that things can get better. I'm here to tell you that Jesus heals depression. I know it's a medical condition. I know there is medication. I know that we need to seek doctors for things. But Jesus heals depression, 
He freed me from my guilt and my shame. He freed me from pornography. He freed me from drugs and alcohol. He freed me from the feeling of being dirty. He freed me from the feeling of being unworthy. He freed me from all of those chains. He gave me a new, a new name. I became him, his son. He broke the weight of every chain. I was free for the first time in 12 years. Praise God, 12 years. The woman at the well, could you imagine what she thought, how long it would take, right? And then one day she's there in her outcast state and she meets Jesus. Can you imagine that? I couldn't imagine it, church. I couldn't even fathom that God loved me so much that he would meet me in my mess. I no longer identified with those chains and bondage. I identified as a son, a son that wanted to live a life pleasing to the Father. Jesus changed the trajectory of my life, and if he can do it for me, he can do it for you. And, and, and grandpas and grandmas, moms and dads, I want to give you a word of encouragement. My parents prayed for me for 12 years. For 12 years, my parents prayed for me. They, they also probably at times had no hope. They probably also thought that, I don't know if our son is ever going to get right. What if he dies out there? I want to give some encouragement to some parents and some families. I believe that God is going to bring home sons and daughters, and God is meeting sons and daughters, okay? The, the Bible says he is no respecter of persons. If he can do it for me, if he can do it for you, he can do it for them too. So I believe God for some sons and some daughters in this church, amen? I began serving in my church he had given me a heart for the youth. He had given me a, a, a heart for the gospel, for reaching the lost, for ministering. He put a word in my heart and a fire inside of me. I believe God was calling me to ministry. I believed he was calling me to something. But my past and the abuse I faced as a little boy, the heavy chain, the if you only knew chain, the it's too heavy chain. <laughs> See, God broke me free from everything. He broke me free from a lot of things. The power of God was displayed in my life when he met me. I was able to throw those chains down, but this one, come on, Lord. This one, God, the one I have to the one I need freedom from, the one I have to talk about. You know why I could, God took all those other things? Because those were the light chains. Those were the light ones. I had this, this pile of chains. I gave him all the light ones. Lord, yes, Lord, deliver me from alcohol. I don't want to drink alcohol. Deliver me from marijuana. Lord, deliver me from pornography. I don't want these things. But this chain that was given to me, this heavy chain, Come on, church, church, God's not after just the light chains. He's after the heavy chain. He knows about the light chains. He knows he, know he can have those in an instant, but he needs you to give him this heavy chain. Through this series and through the word that has been spoken in this church, the word that's been brought forth by Breno, God's not after just the light ones. He wants the heaviest one, the one that's holding you back. In a church service just like this, just like we've been having the last three weeks, a pastor was preaching on freedom. He was preaching on freedom from your past, freedom, freedom uh, from bondage. He, it was a freedom message. This pastor was a 27-year-old virgin. He was preaching from a stance of purity. He was preaching that no matter what you've done, 
no matter what's been done to you, no matter if you chose the outcome, if you chose these things, that through the blood of Jesus, through the power of Jesus, there is purity for you. There is wholeness for you. There is holiness. There is righteousness. All the things that we don't have on our own, all the things that we can't possess on our own, through Jesus Christ, it's available. And I remember feeling the word of God in that place. I remember feeling the presence of God in that place. It was everything I was struggling with. I felt the Lord calling me deeper. I felt him wanting to take me deeper, but it was this heavy, heavy chain that I didn't take up myself that was given to me. It was this heavy one that was holding me back. And I remember when the altar call was given, Tim, I couldn't wait to get up to the altar because I felt the Lord was speaking to my heart in that moment. I thought, just maybe, just maybe after 20 years, God was about to set me free from the heaviest chain in my life. And I got up, Breno, into the presence of God, where God is, where the Spirit of the Lord is. And there was freedom for me in that moment. And I ran up to the altar, church, and I'm telling you, what I'll never forget God taking that heavy chain from my life and allowing me to move forward for the first time in 20 years I was struggling no God you can't use me I'm too dirty you can't use me Yes, you've made me, you're cleaning me up. Things are getting better, but you can't use me. I can't be in ministry. I can't lead the youth. I can't do these things. I can't go to Bible study. I can't hang out with the preacher. I can't hang out with the pastor. No, I can't go to young adults group. No, I can't. I can't. I'm too dirty. I can't. But that heavy chain he took, he took, and that's the one that he's after for all of us today. I experienced freedom from my heaviest chain. The pile that I had, Jesus took, and he's coming for all of them, and it's the heavy chain holding us back that he wants, because when he gets that heavy one, we're finally free. We're finally free, amen? I just want to share 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We all know the scripture. We memorize it. We recite it. We sing it. It gets quoted. It says, if any man be in Christ, we are a new Creature, right? We all know that. I used to quote that while God was in the sanctifying process with me, while He was making me new. I used to quote that and, uh, new, uh, Lord, I mean, yeah, you've changed my life, but new, I, I can't be new. The scripture didn't say that we are a reused people, creation. Come on. He didn't say that we are recycled. Oh, I'll save them, but they're a little jacked up still. They don't, they don't look right, okay? He didn't say we were refurbished. I'll save them. I'll make you look new on the outside. The people you go to church, you have a new life, but now you don't work right. You're just refurbished. The scripture says new. It says new. If anyone be in Christ, he is new, young people. And for the people in here that have the same struggles as every person in the room that feels like God is doing something in them, who has had God move in their life, I'm here to tell you, you are not recycled. You are not reused. You are not refurbished. You are new in Christ. The message was pretty clear. Jesus didn't just die for our sins, but he died to set us free completely. Just like last week, Breno's scripture, who the sun set free is free in what? Indeed. Who the sun set free is free? It didn't say a little bit, a little bit. We let Jesus free us a little bit. I can't give up that past. 
I can't give up that past. That heartache from 20 years ago, I can't give that up. That loss of my dad, I can't give that up. That loss that I'm facing, I can't give that up. My divorce, I can't give that up. I can't give that up. I'm gonna just come to church. God is doing some things in my life. I go to an amazing church where the spirit of God is, but I can't give that up. Those are the chains that Jesus wants to set you free from. That's the freedom that we're talking about. That's the freedom that this whole series was about, was that God is wanting to accomplish something in our lives that we can never do in our own power, but through the power of Christ, he can make us finally free. And God showed me this, this visual of a pit in an open field, a deep, deep pit, more than six feet. The enemy prepares this pit for us, right? For he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And we're in the bottom of this pit, this, this pit in a field, and we're stuck there. We're stuck. We, we see the light up there. We want to reach the top of the ground, but we're just stuck. And while we're in there, the enemy speaks lies to us, right? What are you doing in there? How did you get in there? Why would you go in there? But really, we don't want to be in here. We want to be up there where the light is. And then he gives you things to get you out of the Here, take this ladder. Climb this ladder. That'll get you out. Surely that'll get you out. Here, take this rope. This rope will get you out. Climb this rope. Knowing the rope won't get you out. The ladder won't get you out. They're both too short. Every time you climb them, every time you take them, every time you pick up that chain, you fall right back into the pit. But the entire time, Jesus is reaching down his hand, trying to reach us. But we're over here on the ladder, over here on the rope, over here we have these chains. Here, young people, take this. Here, do this. Here, mom and dad, bitterness, anger, resentment. Here, take this. This will make you feel better for a little bit. This will get you out of the pit, but it never does. The entire time, Jesus has his hand down into the pit, just waiting for us to grab it. And we see it. We see that he's there, and we finally grab a hold of him, and he pulls us out of the pit because he has given us life. Jesus pulls us out of the pit and has given us life. And we're walking around. We're out of the pit. We are free. We are free. We have life. I'm going to heaven. My sins are forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. But when we walk around and we look back and we still see a pit, do you still see a pit this morning? Are you walking around in freedom? You're walking around in, in freeness of sins, but you look back at that past, you see that pit. I'm here to tell you, Jesus doesn't pull you out, give you life and lets you look back at a pit. He doesn't do it. He doesn't just throw some leaves on top of it, Tim, and say, ah, you won't see that. You're good, man. Just keep going. He doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't just throw some dirt in the pit. We'll fill it up, okay? We're not going to fertilize it. We're not going to put any seed down. So you're going to see, you're going to see that you were still a little messed up. Jesus didn't do that, did he, Breno? No, but he pulls us out of the pit he fills it up with dirt. He pours the foundation over top of it. He puts up the frame of a house. He does something more than we could ever imagine. He gives us life and life more abundantly at the hands of Jesus, amen? And so that other people come by, 
wait, where's the pit? Didn't there used to be a pit here? Didn't he used to be lost? Wasn't he addicted? Didn't that happen to you when you were a child? Where is the pit? But I'm here to tell you, Jesus came and he put a house and a foundation and gave us more than we could ever imagine. That's the freedom that is in Christ. Amen. Why don't you guys stand to your feet in this place? Come on, let's give the Lord and Devin a hand one more time. Come on. We're going to do some business with the Lord. And I encourage you, I know it's 12.05, but please don't look at the clock. Look at your heart right now. Come on, some of us right now, we walking around, but we have a pit. God wants to fill that pit today. He wants us to bring that chain today. There's three people in this room. We're in the pit. We're at the bottom of the pit. We don't know Jesus. We don't know he's reaching down. We don't know that he has new life for us. And you're there this morning. If you're there this morning, Jesus has came to set you free. He's come to call you a son. He's come to call you a daughter. If you don't know him, he's come. Or there's some of us that are in the pit. We've grabbed onto Jesus' hand, and he's pulling us to new life, but we still have our hand on something in the pit. We still have our hand on something that the enemy threw in there for us. Jesus wants to bring you to complete new life. He wants to set you free, young people. Mom and dad, he wants to set you completely free. And there's those of us who are walking in freedom, who have had some heavy, some lighter chains broken off of us, who have had some new hope, a new life, but we're looking around and we still see the pit. If that's you this morning, Jesus wants your heavy chain. Come on. He wants the heavy one. He wants you to have a new house where that pit was because what the enemy meant for evil, God made for good. And if, if that's you this morning, Give them all of your chains. Give them every single one, not one, two, three. Give them all of them. Let them take that heaviest chain. And if that's you, we want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you this morning. So we're going to take some time to sing. We're going to take some time to surrender. And if you need to do any business with God, please come to the altar. There are people ready to pray with you. Amen. Father, we love you. God, thank you that you are a God of true redemption true freedom from every chain, from the light chains and the heavy chains. And we just pray right now, Spirit of God, just move in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Here is where I lay it down, every burden, every crown. This is my surrender. This is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down, every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender. Come on, let's sing this out. And I will make room for you. Come on, let it move in this place. To do whatever you want to, to do whatever you want to. I will make room for you. 
whatever you want to, to do whatever you want.